Welcome to a second HLI episode of 2022. Today we have with us Walt Kozlowski, who has practiced pharmacy for over 50 years in various roles. Welcome, Walt. Hello, Susmita. It's such a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. You were part of my start of pharmacy practice in the U.S. If I recall correctly, our paths crossed in Livonia, I guess a few weeks or so after I was licensed, 2004 maybe? I was flexing my muscles as an acting pharmacy manager where your pharmacy manager was on maternity leave. I thank you for all the support you offered then. I, I gotta say you did a heck of a job. I would, uh, I think you knew a lot more than I did at that time. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but I do remember at that point, you already had considerable pharmacy experience. So maybe let's start at the beginning. What got uh, you interested in pharmacy? Tell me a little about, you know, the pharmacy, pharmacy curriculum when you went to school and your first jobs? Okay, I uh, started college at Wayne State University in 1959. That's not only another century, it's almost another lifetime. (laughs) But uh, I was sitting in a a chemistry class and a a guy next to me, we became friends and he asked me to join Phi Delta Chi, which was the pharmacy uh, fraternity. I wasn't in the program. He was, but I wasn't. So I joined and uh, and that's how I got into pharmacy. I had no idea what I was going to do. And uh, that was my first step into pharmacy. And uh, I graduated in 1964. I was the last of the four-year program. The wow. very next year, they went to the five. And I guess it's six years now. Yeah, the Farm D is six years now. Farm D, yes. More and more, yes. But uh, then I practiced uh, retail pharmacy for about a year, got married, got drafted. People until today don't know what a drafted is. That means when they say, you are wanted by Uncle Sam. And uh, I went into the Army. And this was just a year after you practiced? I uh, went in in 65 and I uh, I went in 66, excuse me, in, in 1966, yeah. went into the service. So I was, out, I was out for about a year before I got drafted. So new, a new pharmacist, newly married, and off you go. Off I go to the Army. And the, the interesting thing about that, the vice president at that time was Hubert Humphrey from Minnesota. And probably not many people know, but he was a pharmacist. I didn't know that. Vice president was a pharmacist. Most of, he may have been a lawyer too, like you, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> Anyhow, he made a, a change. I don't know if it was a law or whatever, but if a pharmacist got drafted previous to that, they could have gone anywhere. They could have been carrying a rifle in combat or any place in the service. So he made a rule that if you were a pharmacist already and got drafted in the service, you worked as a pharmacist in the service. So they which, realized your skills. As a professional. Well, it made sense. It made yeah. sense. You know, why, why train somebody OJT uh, when you got someone who's already gone to college and, and, and is registered? So I was lucky that way. I, I saved Louisiana for the two years I was in. Nobody <laughs> invaded. Yes. But uh, uh, after the two years, just before I was getting out, I was talking because there are a lot of pharmacists that were in the, in the hospital where I was working and they were from all over the country. 
And I told them, I said, you know, when I get back to Michigan, I'm going to make $200 a week. And they were laughing at me. No, 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 you're not going to make that much money. Well, what's $200 a week nowadays? I mean, I know inflation, but uh-huh. you make that in three hours now. Yeah. <laughs> so, How was it in the Army, though, being a pharmacist? It wasn't bad. We uh, depend on your rank. I ended up being what they call E5. That's equivalent to a buck sergeant when I did that. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, we had actually it was like a outpatient dispensary that we worked in the hospital and people brought in their prescriptions from the doctors that they saw in the hospital or dispensaries. And we would, we had like six or seven guys on a line filling prescriptions. And then I was at Fort Polk in Louisiana and there were a North post and a South post. The South post was uh, basic training, but they had four dispensaries there. And at North post was AIT, which meant advanced infantry training. That was the guys that were going to Vietnam. So they would send a pharmacist out from the hospital to a dispensary in either spot. And we would be there for a sick call. If the doctor needed something or if there's something that the dispensary didn't have, we would drive back in a Jeep back to the hospital and wow. fill the prescription and take it back out there. So it was it was something different. And most uh-huh. of the time I was bored. I didn't do anything. But they gave shots to all these guys, basic training, the guys who were going to Vietnam, they got a million shots. Oh, and so, pharmacist administers their shots? Well, I did. I, you did? I did because I asked them, I said, can I give shots? They said, sure. So, so I did. I gave thousands of shots. So when I came back to Michigan and we were allowed to give shots, we had to take that training. Heck, I already had thousands of shots in my background. And you were nothing- already ahead of it. I was ahead of the curve. Yes, that was, wow. uh, that was one of my things getting over I remember giving shots you know I have this needle phobia and I don't know if you remember <laughs> I think Dave was very kind enough to let me practice on him and I remember when I started I, giving shots I would give the shot and I would cry <laughs> it was never a problem after that but it took me a while so that is amazing you already had that experience well I'm now I'm on the other side I get the shots and uh <laughs> And uh, unfortunately, I can't tell them, don't do it that way, because, you know, they'll be offended. <laughs> but the trick of it, especially uh, these flu shots and all that stuff, is just do it fast. Just stick it in and fast. Yeah. They like to go in and slow and they think that they're not hurting you. Well, they're, they're hurting you more. If more. They do it. Mm. So I enjoyed that, actually. I don't remember if you ever went on uh, where they send us out to a business or something and, and gave shots to uh, employees and all that. That was interesting, yeah. too. I enjoyed that. And how long were you in the Army? Two years. I was, like I said, it was just, mm-hmm. I was drafted. I had a deferment when I was in college. Uh, then I got a deferment when I got married. And then if I had been 26, I would have not got drafted. I was 25. So I missed about a year. I could have missed the whole thing. But uh, when it was, I was scared. Believe me, Mm -hmm. I was scared to go to Vietnam because I know guys that I knew went there Mm -hmm. and not all of them came back in one piece. It was, uh, it was scary. The hospital that I was at Mm -hmm. in in Fort Polk was a World War II hospital. Uh, The building was all made out of wood. Mm -hmm. But why I was there Two of us were assigned to what they call an OVAC hospital. I don't know if you you have ever seen the show or the the movie 
MASH. I've seen, yeah, little episodes of it. Yeah. Well, it was called an evac hospital, very mm -hmm. similar to that, but it was more permanent than that, that hospital would have been. One of my friends from the service, actually my wife works on there at the, the, at the PX, which is like a department store in the service. He went to Vietnam and when he came back, we visited him mm -hmm. and he was telling the story about, he lived what they call a hooch. It's like a hole in the ground and they build a covering and they live mm -hmm. in it. Well, there was a rocket attack, went right over where he was living into wow. the hospital at Chulai and killed the first American nurse, female nurse that was ever killed in Vietnam. It went right over his head. You can be doing anything and you could have been killed or hurt or maimed or whatever. So I was happy not to go. That's yeah. kind of terrifying. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, How was it heard, adjusting back after that time into regular practice? It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I, I actually went back to the same small chain that I was working with before I went into the service. Oh, okay. And this was in Michigan? In Michigan, yeah. In Michigan. I worked in okay. uh, Farmington Hills. Okay. It was called Harvest Drugs. They sold out to Cunningham's at one time, and Cunningham's sold out to somebody else. So you know how it goes. <laughs> so but, when uh, you came back, so you came back into community practice. Correct. Okay. Correct. And after, like, how long? I know you've also done a little bit of hospital, right? How? Where did that fit in? That was actually first when I was in school. Mm -hmm. I worked at Grace Hospital in downtown Detroit. Things were much different than uh, we were just students. We would work. Okay at night by ourselves a student mm -hmm. charge of the whole pharmacy really the nurse come down and they would you know bring down an order and we would fill uh -huh. it they would take it back to their unit but we were in charge which the year was this which year of your pharmacy school six 61 maybe six 60 61 somewhere so in you there. were like a second year pharmacist second yeah i i second didn't year. know anything I didn't know anything. I was out there. I had books spread out all over the whole counter looking up because they would write stuff. I said, what the heck is that? You know, I would look it up or I'd call one of the pharmacists up at home and say, "Where? what is this? Where is this? You know? So you so learned was, on the job. <laughs> I learned very quickly. Yes. You learned very quickly. <laughs> very quickly. It, it was interesting. So, it was most, interesting. so I was going to say most of your practice has been in the community setting then, right? Yeah, if you counted all the years, yeah, most of it is mm -hmm. read. And what do you like? You know, one of the things I was talking about during the recent uh, MPA talk was how community practice has shifted. You know, we've had a change in terms of scope of practice, of what pharmacists could do to what they do now. And then even the gender, right? I like how it has shifted in the pharmacy profession and corporate consolidation. You know, at one time we had mostly, you know, owned single owned independent stores and now more and more we have chain pharmacies that fill it what were some of the things you saw and what are some of your thoughts on it well that's correct usually independent pharmacies were the norm cunningham's was the big chain here in, in michigan in the detroit area you okay. probably don't even know who they were but uh, they were big for a long, long time. But this was just in the state, right? It was not a national chain, was it? It may have been in some of the adjacent okay. states. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But then uh, Perry Drugs and Arbor Drugs got to be like 200 stores. And that's when when uh, CVS bought uh, mm -hmm. Arbor's and uh, Rite Aid bought Perry's. So that's 
that's what that was a switch over to a bigger chain type situation. Eventually worked for Walgreens like you did. Yes, or that's do. where we met. I still do, don't you? Yeah. But uh, I worked for a small chain. It was called uh, F&M. Okay. They were trying to be the next Myers, but they mm-hmm. failed. Well, they tried, to, they tried to discount and not discount at the same time. And you just can't do that. you know. <laughs> but uh, I worked there 16 years and then I came to uh, uh, Walgreens and I enjoyed my time at Walgreens. It was different, different setups. The way stores are set up was different. I, I don't know. I'm sure you remember the, the river in the mm-hmm. pharmacy department. It made you think like you were on an assembly line, but uh, it was okay. It was fine. I enjoyed the people. Like, I know people ask me, oh, do you miss work? No, I don't miss work. Mm-hmm. I miss a lot of the people I work with. That's for sure. Yeah, I think for me, that was the thing. Like, I really, and I miss my patients, right? Like, you know, having somebody come up there and really trust you. I remember when I was in Oak Park, there'll be some patients who'd be like, Susmeet, I waited for your shift to come in to pick up my meds. And just hearing that makes your day, right? Like, you're like, you know, this person really buys into what you're saying. They look up to you. They really want you to guide their health needs. I think that is very interesting. And then having the best colleagues, having good technicians, perfect. I always said, I rather work a busy store with good help and enough of help than a slow store with no help. No help, exactly. <laughs> you know, one of the things, like, you know, even for, for the time I'd never practiced as much as you have, but even for the little time I practiced, I did notice, like, I guess right from when I started, we already had the KPIs, but I'm thinking when you started working as a pharmacist, you know, you didn't really have key performance indicators, right? Like how do you remember when this came about or how it was, or what do you think about them? You know, the thing is, I was thinking about that myself just lately. I, I was registered in three different States, Michigan, Louisiana and Indiana. The Indiana one was about 20 some years ago. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, the CEs that you had to take, uh, you know, just like we do here. But when I started, there was nothing like that. Mm-hmm. They figured you didn't learn anything after you graduated. Uh, in other words, it, it's, it makes sense to have the CE requirements and the key KPI. I think they overdid it on some of the stuff. But So at that point, when you got licensed, you just renewed your license. Was there things that needed to get done before you got renewed? Not for probably the first 10 years or so. You just pay them the money and they would mm-hmm. know your life. But eventually uh, it went into that. Okay. And I think it's a good thing. When you go to your doctor, don't you hope that he's uh, kept up with times? And then the other thing I've noticed is that I think we've had, and I hear this from a lot of our colleagues now, is, you know, just kind of the diminishing support hours that seem to be coming out. And with that increased workloads, you know, it's great that our scope of practice has increased, but there also seems to be just too much to do. And I do hear a lot of complaints about that. Was that something you felt while going through your career that it was changing gradually? Uh, Well, when I first started, uh, I worked for this small chain, like I said before, and the pharmacist at that time was Mm -hmm. actually the assistant manager of the store too. He would fill the prescriptions. Then he would do the checkout at night if he's on a night shift, uh, do all the books, do all the ordering in the whole store. That was all part of our duties in addition to filling prescriptions. But you got to remember back in the 19, 
60s, uh, a busy store would fill 100 prescriptions a day. I mean, a busy store. Of course, yeah. we were using manual typewriters and labels, not like uh, not like computers like we did they do now. So uh-huh. it was much different. That must be such an interesting change, right? I think when I came around this, they did already have the computers and the label that started getting into workflow and getting all that done. But yeah, that is interesting to have lived through that era. Well, what when I was working for FM, like I said, I was there 16 years. Uh-huh. I think it was bought out two or three times when I was there. And so they Every time it was bought out, whoever knew people were, they brought their own computer system in. And naturally, it was different than the one we had before. So you had to learn it all over again. And then they would be bought out and then you have to learn it all over again. So that was kind of a pain, but, you know. Who did the typing? Was it the pharmacist that typed up the labels on the bottle? Or did you have a a technician that helped with the typing? I wouldn't call them technicians. They were people who worked in the store, yes. And sometimes like a cashier, like a pharmacy cashier. And obviously, I'm sure you noticed it too. There are people that you can Uh count on or, you Uh know. Or you think that they're more capable and you would ask them to come back and help you sometimes. And they would. You hope they would get ahead in life and not uh, just be a ringer-upper all their life. You know? I don't know. Yeah, I think career progression is another thing. Career progression, both in terms of having more increased responsibilities and also one of the other things that I always talk about, like, you know, we all know that we're aging. How do we have this accommodations for, you know, older health workers as they're aging to make sure that they can, they're able to contribute? That's true. The physical layout certain pharmacies i have to use walgreens as an example because that's the last one i worked at they could have made better combinations for elderly or handicapped pharmacists Mm -hmm. uh, maybe provide a stool so they can sit uh, rather than try to stand eight hours a day or whatever Mm -hmm. with bad knees or 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 back or something like that the physical demands right that kind of physical demands yeah it really adds up do you feel like this was something like if they were done you think people could actually work longer because your mental capacities are definitely there but physically that's not where most people are as they age as you age mentally obviously you're going to slow down somewhat but (laughs) i think the physical one is more something that a, a pharmacy would have to deal with. If, if you can't do it mentally, you can't do it mentally. And, and that's they'll your get licensing. Power. Yeah, that's right. where your licensing and everything comes in. Right, correct. Yeah. Wow. But the physical, and I think that could be, uh, you know, adjusted somehow, you know, that you could. Yeah. Uh, and then it's something that you can make an adjustment. It's not that difficult. And what has happened, if I remember, like when we, when we even worked together, it was mm-hmm. very common that we had two shifts, right? A pharmacist came in eight to four and other pharmacists came in two to 10. So you had mm-hmm. that two to four overlap between two pharmacists. And I think this was very important because you had where you did like your takeover notes, you kind of discuss things. Somebody could take like a quick break if they wanted. And then over time, I know a lot of stores started changing their hours. So it was not even the eight-hour shifts. I know many pharmacists really had to start doing 12-hour shifts because one of those days or two of those days, 
it would be open for 12 hours. So now we're not talking of just standing for eight hours. We're talking 12 hours, right? So that adds up. That definitely adds up. <laughs> and I believe you also practiced during the era of no lunches, right? Oh, no lunches. You uh, ate. Uh, that's what I used to get complaints from family on that. Why do you eat so fast? So I, ha I just do because I have to eat uh -huh. it whenever I could. Now that I'm retired, uh, I'm the slower end of eating now. Uh -huh. But uh, that's true. I noticed in the last year, a couple of years of uh, Walgreens, I think CVS does it too, where they actually close the pharmacy for a half an hour. Not really enough of time, but that's better than nothing. Uh, exactly. So and I think also the problem being that, you know, for a person who comes in at two, taking a break before four isn't reasonable if they're going to stay till 10, right? The idea right. of a break or a lunch is that you really are at a point where you want to mentally calm down. If you're getting back and you're still doing six hours straight, I think the idea of it, so I think it still has room to improve, but definitely somewhere that's better where you at least take a lunch. You know, I think it affects not only your mental capacity, but just your output and errors. I think one of the things that has been continually coming up in the news like the last two years is medication errors and medication errors because of the work conditions in these pharmacies and what we're you know having pharmacists do i think we talked about burnout uh -huh. there is there is definitely a pharmacist burnout and just from that reason that you're constantly you know, on and on aware and, and trying to make sure you don't make a mistake, trying to make sure the right medication gets out the right directions, you know, and, and to please your the, the patient and please the higher ups in the corporations, you know, so there's a lot of stress involved. Yes, right. a lot, a lot of stress. And yeah. uh, you got to realize or everybody's got to realize it's it's the bottom line. It's profit. Sometimes yeah. the individual is mm -hmm. not thought about that much. It's the profit, the bottom line. That's uh, what it comes into play. Uh, yeah, and, you know, that's exactly what's not it's supposed to be about the patient's safety, which is so important. And now more and more what's happened is like, OK, at least if you were just doing the prescription, you're in one place. But if you're going to give shots or you're doing point of care testing, you're leaving your area, going out, coming back into the pharmacy, that adds time. But I think when you do KPIs that do not accommodate, <laughs> right, how much time you're going out for, what it takes, and just that, you know, like even there are times you go out and somebody's scared to get a shot. <laughs> you're going to spend some extra time to, to make that person feel comfortable, right? So I think those add up, but how do you reflect those in your KPIs is definitely important. Well, that's uh, one of the things that I found difficult was that you're working six, mm -hmm. eight hours, whatever it is, nonstop. Plus, then the corporation wants you to do the, all these keep KPIs while you're working and exactly. you don't have the time to do them. You know, well, well, you could do them at home. Well, I'm at home. Are you going to pay me for that? No. Yeah. And we're no. salaried. So we're salaried. So that's the other reason. When you're salaried, you don't get paid the extra time. And that adds up. Yeah. And, and I think it's also like what I've heard from a few pharmacists we talked to is more like some of the things it's like, let's call a patient three days if they picked up their medication, which I think for the skill of a pharmacist, it doesn't really make sense for them to be doing that job, right? But these are KPIs you ch check off. So I think there is also the sense that there has been 
almost like an intrusion into the clinical and professional decision-making of pharmacists on what they should be doing. I remember going through the list, mm-hmm. calling these people, telling them, well, it's been three days uh, since you, we had your prescription filled. Uh, when are you going to pick it up? And then that their name comes up again in a couple of days. And you got to call them again. And they're being hassled. You mm-hmm. know? I think it's intrusive on the the customer on the patient too, not only the pharmacist, what he's doing. And he thinks it's kind of stupid to do, but uh, you know. Yeah, I think there's a fine line. I don't come in on the time all the time for pick up my prescription and I'll call it in, I'll pick it up. I'll be in sometime this weekend, maybe, you know. And there's a fine line in, you know, being able to use that opportunity for saying, oh, is there adherence? And if that is just a way to like, okay, let's sell this prescription, right? How much interaction did you have with the pharmacy organizations or the state boards? You know, I I was thinking about that. Currently, I, I think for all the years I worked at Walgreens, I never saw a state board member come in and do a walkover or whatever they do. They used to, I, they used to come in all the time and check, make sure you're doing this or you're doing that, all that. All those years of pharmacy, I never saw one per, in, in Walgreens, rather. I never saw anybody from the state board come in and, you know, check your licenses and make sure everybody had the proper license and make sure they're doing things the proper way and all Oh, this used to happen before. So, like you, you used think to happen. They had, they had they had maybe six, maybe six people that worked for the board, mm-hmm. and they go to different stores and check up on everything, make sure. Hey, you've read it. I'm sure everybody's read it. Where they say, "Well, this guy was a doctor for 15 years. He never went to medical school." The same thing could be for a farm. I know pharmacists. I go way back. I know instances where a guy pretended he was a pharmacist for 20 years and he never got caught until the administration because then they got different people were in charge. So not as much because, you know, that's one of the things I have. You know, I know the state board certainly plays a role in providing our license, getting us licensed in disciplinary action if it comes up. And you think and, you know, the idea, of course, of a state board is public safety. Working conditions relate to public safety. And you would think that the state board would be more involved in actually making sure that pharmacists are working in conditions that allow them to do their job properly, like you said, making sure that you know they are the right people working, they're licensed to work, but at the same time that you know taking into account that we can have working conditions that actually jeopardize patient safety at the end of the day. I think that's the area where the boards, all the boards, can be more active, take mm-hmm. uh, more interest in the individual pharmacists. You know, make sure that you're not falling down from exhaustion while you're working, or mm-hmm. if the working conditions are correct, or the you know uh-huh. that type of. In addition to all the other stuff they do, I'm mean, sure they're busy. They have like things to do, but we are the yeah. person out there on the firing line, you know? So, And I think for younger pharmacists, this is so much more important because like we said, now it's a six hour year program. You have students coming out with much higher loans. You have, you know, like so many pharmacists that are available. I think it's kind of driven down salaries. So people are kind of just accepting jobs, even if they don't agree or they can't change the working conditions. So I think it becomes more and more important. Well, we've always considered ourselves professional, but we're also work for hourly or we work for a set 
uh, amount of money per week and it breaks down to hourly really but mm -hmm. uh not everybody consider as farm well was, th was there something else you wanted to leave our viewers with some insights or stories and and just not mention right so you retired what 2015 right it's been like yep. years and you, you know some days it seems like it yesterday and some days at times it feels like it was a long time ago but uh, <laughs> my co my contemporaries are old like I am and some of them are gone so I don't see but I, I still get contact with some people we have a you and I have a, a pharmacist Joe who started out as a high school student working yep. at Walgreens graduated high school went to college became a pharmacist came back to Walgreens as a pharmacist now he's a professor at a college I mean we saw that whole progression it's fantastic you know? yeah Joe's is a very interesting story because, interesting um, guy yeah because for my LinkedIn I remember when I was changing I was back in law school I'd asked him oh Joe do you mind putting up a recommendation on LinkedIn and he's like what should we do the recommendation as because right right Joe started with right. us in high school and then he was a technician for a long time with me while he was yeah. in pharmacy school and so I was his pharmacy manager and then you know he became a a pharmacy manager and at that I, time I stepped down and I went back to law school so I went to his store he requested me <laughs> and he was my pharmacy manager <laughs> and to me that's the best thing like when you train people that you're happy to work under oh yeah so, yeah so I was like which recommendation would it be me being your boss or you being my you boss being, uh, <laughs> Joe was one of those well is one of those individuals that you can look at and make you know you know within 15 minutes uh -huh. that this kid knows this stuff he's very very intelligent very well organized and he's gonna do well yeah but, i think uh, that's, I, I think that's the other part that i talk about sometimes what happens the fact that we work in different stores doesn't always lend the opportunity for us to build that network like many people who work in offices right you have office parties you stand near the cooler and you talk that doesn't always happen in pharmacists and i think we need to make that extra effort to really get to know our colleagues absolutely absolutely yeah, uh, right. yeah especially if you're your shift you mm -hmm. barely see pharmacists yeah. you barely see them you know they're in and they're gone I think that's the shift that we've seen during the pandemic is really where people have reached out over social media and mm -hmm. made those connections that they weren't making before and actually discussing, you know, some of these things about working conditions or concerns that people really discuss. And I think it's needed as a profession to share those insights. Well, this pandemic has some good things coming out of it. Like you just said, people mm -hmm. are more uh, interacting together, uh, mm -hmm. more about their jobs and how it is. I, I'm talking <laughs> about the people asking for you. We got back, go back to the, sh the shot giving. Uh -huh. I used to have people would come in the next year for flu shot season and they would ask for me to mm -hmm. give the shots. Hey, is that tall pharmacist here? He gave me a shot last year. It was really good. I didn't know how good that made me feel. It was really great. Thank you so much, Walt, for making time for this podcast. And thank you for the service to our community. Pharmacists, especially community pharmacists, are one of the most accessible members of the healthcare teams. And you've been an asset. I'm sure our viewers are intrigued by your vast experience. I look forward to all of you joining our next episode on April 14th 
As always, we welcome your suggestions, questions, and comments on our social media pages or email us directly at podcast at healthlawinstitute.org.